0: Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Welcome if you're new. Such an honour to have you with us and to everyone who's a part of Numa Church. We are missing you. You are doing so much better than what you think you are. And I wanna encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus, keep praying, keep believing, keep connected, stand firm, stay strong, because we are getting through this season and God is with us. And I'm so excited about the launch of sharing Jesus confidently. You know, out of a season of revival, we've got Revival Conference coming up over the next couple of weeks, very exciting. A lot of work is going into that. You don't wanna miss Revival Conference. But the purpose of revival isn't just for us to be revived in our own spirit, Spirit to have an encounter with God but out of that encounter to change the world around us and that's what sharing Jesus confidently is about. I so love the message last week from Pastor Sheree. I want to encourage everyone if you're not a part of a life group you need to get in one straight away because we're going through sharing Jesus confidently as a course, as a church. If you're not connected to what's happening in the life of the church you need to get connected. What are you doing? You need to be on board with what the church is doing at this time because we are uh, uh one family, one community of faith that are moving forward to one vision, one mission and one Kingdom culture set of values. And so let's all get on the same page in this season. I believe that we're going to see a harvest of souls coming into and out of this season. And we're already hearing amazing testimonies. And uh, I want to preach into that whole series of sharing Jesus confidently today. Why don't you pray with me? Father, I thank You that Your Word is living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it pierces to the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Come and speak to us today Holy Spirit, come and move in our hearts and our lives, have your way and I pray O God that there would be such an encounter with You in Your Word today, that not only would it transform us and renew our minds. But God, it would empower us to be on mission, to go and make disciples, to share Jesus confidently and to see Your Kingdom expand right across Melbourne, Australia and the nations of the earth. We honour You, we love You and we commit this Word to in this moment in Jesus' Name. Everybody said Amen. All right, I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 15. I want to read from verses 1. Through to verse 7, I'm so excited about bringing you this Word today. Luke 15, 1-7, it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours saying to them, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I'm just wondering if I could have a little bit more volume in the fallback, that would be great. I wanna speak to you today on the subject, go after the one. Go after the one. Well, many years ago, uh, I remember trying to uh, teach our kids to swim and they did swimming lessons at school and outside of school but uh, with our youngest Joshua who's now uh, 13 years of age, um, I remember we were at a particular uh, resort holiday destination and we went into the swimming pool and there is my son Joshua on the side of the swimming pool and uh, all sorts of fear and trepidation were in his eyes and I decided to try and encourage my son to uh, risk it for the biscuit and to jump in. And so I moved a little bit further away uh, from the edge of the pool with my son there and uh, with about two metres between us, I'm like, son, jump into the pool. Your dad is here to save you, to help you. I'm gonna teach you to swim, jump into the pool. And Joshua just looked at me like, all the best with that. I'm not going anywhere, I'm staying right here. There's a big gap between me and you. And uh, Dad, I love you, but I don't trust you that much. And uh, and there I was, I started to get insecure. I started to get a complex. My son doesn't trust me. And, uh, and I'm yelling at him, come on, son, jump into the water. I'm raising my voice. I'm now starting to get into a panic attack because I'm like, my son is not trusting his dad to jump into the water. And the interesting thing about that whole episode is no matter how much I yelled jump or how much I yelled swim, it wasn't going to make him jump and it wasn't going to make him swim. I had to go to my son and I had to lead him into the water and show him how. I had to help him to build rapport and trust with his dad that he didn't need to be afraid of the water but he could in fact learn how to swim. I think many well-intentioned churches attempt to motivate believers to evangelise by simply yelling from the pulpit, evangelise. What is wrong with you people? Just get out there and evangelise. And whilst we all know we should evangelise and make disciples, we often don't want to or, or don't know how to. And so it isn't through a lack of intention. It's not even through a lack of, I wanna evangelise, I wanna share my faith, but I simply don't know how. When Jesus Christ commissioned us to go and make disciples of all nations, He didn't throw us in the deep end and yell at us, swim. Why don't you just swim? There you go, you're in the deep end. Some of you learned to swim that way. Your parents just threw you in the pool and said, all the best. And then they only jumped in when it looked like it wasn't going to be all the best. Well, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus showed us how by His life and His example. And then He gave us His Holy Spirit to empower us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Jesus invested three and a half years of His life into the disciples, showing them, ministering to them and and giving them an example to follow. And He gave us His powerful Holy Spirit to actually help us apply everything that He taught us in the Gospels. So compelling was Jesus' example that not only did it show the disciples how to make disciples, but in fact, sinners found Jesus incredibly attractive. The Bible says in verse one of this passage, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. We read in the Gospels how the crowds... Listen to Jesus. Sinners ate with Jesus. The sick were carried to Jesus. Even outcasts like the prostitutes honoured Jesus. Why is that? It's because Jesus loves people. And that love is authentic. That love is not got another agenda. That love is accessible. That love carries authority with it. When Jesus speaks, they were amazed at the authority that were in His words. The love that Jesus demonstrated was anointed. It was empowered by the Holy Spirit. The love that Jesus demonstrated was about serving people and building them up and empowering them, not lording His authority over people and not simply drawing attention to Himself. I remember several years ago, my family and I were on a family holiday overseas. And again, we were at another destination by the beach. And and after a few days, one of the staff at this particular establishment walked up to me and he asked me a question. He said, oh, can I ask you a question? I said, go for it. He said, are you a Christian? And I'm like, well, yes, I am. And I say, why do you ask? And he said, well, I've been watching you for the last few days, and I thought that's not weird. And uh, he said, I've observed how your family has been interacting with each other and and having fun with each other and and loving each other compared to other families that I see here week in and week out across the year. And and I can only guess that you guys are people of faith and that you're believers. Well. All of a sudden in that moment John 13:35 came to my mind by this shall all people know that you are my disciples that you have love for one another You see, people around us should be able to notice there's something different about us. And that difference shouldn't be the cringe factor. That difference shouldn't be that we're just complaining and and offering to the world all sorts of conspiracy theories of all that's going on in this season. That difference should be that we love each other. That difference should be that the Gospel is present in our mouths rather than every other narrative that's happening on the face of the earth. Why? Because you're the only Jesus this world will ever meet. You are the only Bible this, that people will ever read. Is your witness attracting people to Jesus or is it repelling people from Jesus? When people hear what's coming out of your mouth, when people read what, how you live your life, are they, are they getting a brilliant representation of who our God is? Or do they say, take a wide berth? I'm not interested in that God. You see, we face a significant cultural barrier to engaging with unbelievers. And that cultural barrier is the division between the sacred and what is secular. In the Bible, in verse two, we see aspects of this division. The Pharisees and scribes were grumbling against Jesus. And they were saying Jesus receives sinners and He eats with them. You see, you need to understand the Pharisees were sectarians. They created laws to separate from the culture in order to maintain the appearance of holiness. Thinking that the observance, external observance or the appearance of something meant that they were holy. Failing to understand that holiness was an issue of the heart. And while the issue of the heart bears and produces fruit, it first of all, in our external lives, it first of all begins with the theme of our own heart. Pharisees could be accused of being guilty of loving God but not necessarily loving people enough to come out of their religious subculture and identify with people where they were at. You can't say you love Jesus and ignore the very people that Jesus came to minister to. In Luke 19.10, the Bible says, Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. I didn't come for those who thought that they were too cool for school, too righteous, to, to, you know, uh, attract the attention of Jesus. No, Jesus said, I came for those who needed a physician. I came to those who were sick in their souls. I came to those who were sinners and recognised they'd all fallen short of the glory of God. And if you don't think you fall into that category, I just want to remind you, the Bible tells us all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need salvation. We all need our Saviour. We all need forgiveness. There's no such thing as self-help in the Kingdom of God. You and I need a Saviour and that Saviour is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life and no person shall come to the Father except through me. We can't say we love God and we can't stand people. Even in a season where it's very easy to say, I'm done. I don't want to hear any more people. I want to encourage you. A a vertical love for God must translate into a horizontal love for people. I used to ride my bike down Beach Road years ago with a whole lot of colourful people. And uh, whilst I love riding, I also appreciated the social interaction that that form of exercise would bring. And I remember riding with a training group, training for Ironman Triathlon years ago. And one of the guys in that group was actually a very proud homosexual man. And he just couldn't fathom that I was actually interested in getting to know him. And I didn't see uh, his uh, particular choice of sexuality or some of the things that were, were going on in his life in terms of the brokenness of his life and relationships. I just saw a person that Jesus Love and I wanted to build a relationship with him and so we'd ride for hours and I'd get to know him and then we'd stop at a cafe I'd buy him brunch and and he just couldn't understand why someone of my, he'd always call me you know, the man of the cloth and why why the person of the cloth, why a, a priest or a, a man of God would even want to have anything to do with him because such has this ingrained idea of the division between the sacred and secular has been ingrained and indoctrinated into our culture that faith has largely become a matter of private opinion and so you keep that to yourself and you keep away from people who are outrightly living a lifestyle that would be in contradiction to that faith system. Where did all of this come from? Well it's been around since the beginning of time but particularly in the 18th century in the Western Enlightenment, Immanuel Kant, he actually divided knowledge into two categories. One category of knowledge was what we came to know as noeminal knowledge. This is knowledge or truth that you can't necessarily experience. It's obviously more of a mysterious supernatural origin. And so the supernatural world, he said, well, we can't experience that. And so that's been defined as noeminal knowledge, but phenomenal knowledge is that which we can experience in the natural world. Examples of this are noeminal statements like Jesus is the Son of God. To many people, they may hear that statement. And for us as believers, it's true, we've experienced it, we've encountered it. But if you're not a believer, if you don't have not been regenerated in your spirit and renewed in your mind, if you've never been saved, you don't really understand that. And so that is an ethereal out there concept that maybe is not your experience. And so you can bring all sorts of arguments against That truth, because in your mind, you've never experienced it. But if we were to share a phenomenal idea like, you know what, isn't the weather amazing today, we can experience that because we can look at the temperature gauge, we can look at the sky and we can see there's no clouds and there's sun and it's beautiful that we can feel the warmth on our skin and we can go outside and enjoy the experience of the weather. That would be known as a phenomenal statement or a phenomenal truth because according to Kant, it's something that you and I can experience in the natural world. We can verify it by looking at the objective Logical, rational measuring sticks that point to that reality. And so from this philosophy was birthed the sacred and the secular that which is of private opinion and that which is in the public space. And so in a culture where now the sacred is deemed as private and the secular is okay to be engaged with publicly, evangelism by believers becomes a hostile act because all of a sudden we are telling people, hey, where is your soul at? Where is your heart at? Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life. And people are going, Well, there's been such a culture of this division, they may not articulate it this way, but the sacred is private, the secular is public. And so because they can't experience it, they don't actually believe that it's true for them. You see, when someone is lost and dead in their sin, their hearts are blinded to their own need for salvation. In Jeremiah 17:9, the prophet declares, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And the answer comes back, only the Lord who searches the heart and the mind. And so often when we engage in evangelism, be it in a friendship setting or a, a family setting or a, a workplace setting and we're sharing our faith with people and we get rejected and we get a hostile attitude back. Often we retreat, failing to realise that there needs to be a preparation and foundation of prayer that actually goes into that evangelistic uh, uh, attempt to share our faith because we need the Holy Spirit to work on people's hearts That as we we share the Gospel, the Gospel will actually be uh, breaking through that blindness of heart and that veil of deception that has blinded people to the reality of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Is this helping anybody today? Because it's helping me. Uh, What does this mean for us as disciples of Jesus who have been commissioned to go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus? Well, it means this. We must go to them before they come to us. I wanna say this again. We must go to them before they come to us. Jesus models this in this parable. He says, Who of you having 100 sheep, if he has lost one, doesn't leave the 99 and go after the one. He models to us what you and I are called to do in this parable. The shepherd had to leave something behind to go and find the one lost sheep. In John 1.14, we read the Word, being Jesus, the living Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the chief shepherd of our souls, actually was sent by the Father to leave the perfection of the paradise of heaven. Can you imagine being asked, by the Father, hey son, I need you to go and I need you to leave the throne room and I need you to leave all that you've experienced and had for all eternity to go and identify with my people, my created work, my masterpiece, the human race, because without you going, there is no salvation. There is no way that they're gonna be able to be reconciled back into relationship with me. Jesus has modelled to us the example. He left something behind to go after the one. I remember years ago, and I've shared this story over several years here at Numa But, you know, being, uh, getting my hair cut and a lady by the name of Leanne uh, sort of uh, meeting her for the first time in this uh, barber salon and she was, you know, Basically, when you had a haircut with Leanne, uh, everyone knew what was going on in your life because the whole barber salon was eavesdropping in and invited into the conversation because her voice was quite loud. And so I'm trying to avoid, you know, uh, going too deep in the conversation, just talking about the weather and the football and this and that. And then she asked me what I did and I'm not gonna lie about that, I'm proud of that. So I'm starting to share a little bit about that. Then she starts asking me all sorts of questions and talks to me about her philosophies of life and all of a sudden it gets real quiet in the barber salon and the next thing we're now in, in like you know mini sermon land and I'm just I'm like well it's a captive audience let's go and so I'm sharing my faith and talking it through and it was months and months and months of discussions and sometimes there's a little bit of tension there between her perspective and my perspective and the Holy Spirit said to me one day son why don't you pray for her I'm like that's a brilliant idea and so I began to pray for her and ask God to really minister into her life and we started to build this rapport with each other to the point that she actually asked me to uh, perform her wedding ceremony for her and her partner at the time. And they had a little child. And and so I started to get enmeshed and involved in their world and their life. I'd been inviting them for a long time to come to church and and be a part of our church service, particular events, different things. Nothing had worked. But when I went into her world and got to understand her world, all of a sudden her heart started to reciprocate. And now I'm starting to see this softness in her. Heart towards the gospel. There was an event where we were talking one day and she was talking about a financial need in her life and the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to take all the money that's out of your wallet and I'd just been to the ATM and filled it up for the weekend's activities for the family and the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to give her all the money. I said, I rebuke that in Jesus' Name. That's of the devil because my wife is gonna absolutely tar me if I don't, you know, bring the the mullah home, so to speak, and we go and do our activities and the Holy Spirit's like, just leave your wife to me. I'll work this out. And uh, and so I wrestled with God in that octagon UFC fight there. And how many of us know, when you get step into the octagon, God always wins. And so there I was. And eventually at the end of that haircut, Jesus won and I pulled out the money and put it into her hand. And she said, oh no, I can't take it. And I said, I looked at her and I said, God told me to give this to you. And the moment I said that, she welled up with tears and her heart again was softened. As I walked out of the bar, the Holy Spirit said to me, You've just sown another seed for her salvation. Several weeks later, I'm preaching at church on a Sunday night. I didn't know Leanne the hairdresser was at the back in the shadows of the back seats of that auditorium. I'm preaching the Gospel. We get to the altar call, people are coming forward and the Holy Spirit says, there's one more person. I didn't know Leanne was that one more person. And she started to walk down that aisle, sobbing as she surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. I had to go into her world before she came into the world of the church. You see, less than 2% of believers have ever introduced another person to Christ. Why is that? It's because we often approach evangelism as a corporate event rather than a normal part of our everyday lifestyles. Evangelism is a lifestyle change, not an accessory item to an overcrowded life. And what we try and do in our business Busy lives in 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 your lockdown season and all the challenges that are around us right now is we sort of compartmentalize evangelism into a convenient part of our lives rather than simply doing the work of an evangelist that we heard last week in our normal everyday lives we're sharing our faith living our faith becomes a normal part of living and breathing and eating and sleeping and everything else that we do it's amazing the fruit that will come when evangelism is It's just the air you breathe rather than just the holiday you have once a year. We're gonna make evangelism going after the one a priority every single day of our lives. We're gonna go to their things before they come to our things. You see, as we build relationship with people that Jesus loves, there are two things that we must do. And in this Sharing Jesus Confidently course, you'll learn a few master keys that will actually empower you and help you to share Jesus confidently. And here are some aspects of that that I've incorporated into my life that has really helped me. Firstly, we've got to listen to their story and then tell them our God's story. We've got to listen to their story and then we've got to tell them our God's story. Stephen Covey in his... uh Uh, groundbreaking work about the seven habits of highly effective people. He talks about seek first to understand and then to be understood. If you're going into relationships trying to be understood before you seek first to understand, you're building walls in conversations. You're building walls in relationships. But if we respect people enough to listen to them, as they ask their questions, most people will reciprocate and listen to us as we actually ask them questions about where their faith is at. Too many believers, I think, have bought into St. Francis of Assisi's quote when he says preach the Gospel and if necessary, use words. Can I just say, it's cliche, it sounds lovely and trite, but it's not Bible. The Bible says in Romans ten fourteen, how will they call on Him in whom they have never believed? And how are they to believe in Him, here it is, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, sharing Jesus confidently with them. We've lived in a generation of the church where a whole lot of people have bought into the notion, preach the Gospel and if necessary, use words. And absolutely all of us would agree that our faith in Jesus needs to become the example in our behaviour and in our actions. But here's the deal. If we don't open up our mouths and give a reason for the hope, that we have we are missing a fundamental part of the great charge of the great commission that Jesus has given to us and if ever there was a time for the church to excuse me to lift up their voice just got a frog in the throat To lift up their voice and give a reason for the hope that we have now is the time why people are more hungry than ever been before People are searching for truth than ever before. People are actually looking for answers and solutions in a season that they've never been in before. And so we've got to not just simply ride this out and be passive and bunker down and hope that they see our witness online. We've actually got to start to declare. We've got to start to share. We've got to start to listen, ask questions, go on a journey, building relationship with people because as we build this kind of relationship with people, we will build the rapport that is necessary for people to actually discover who Jesus is in our lives. In John 4, the Samaritan woman had such an encounter with Jesus that she couldn't contain it. She went to her village and she started to tell everyone come and meet the person who told me everything I ever did. Well, we read John 4, Jesus didn't tell her everything she ever did, but Jesus did have a word of knowledge and highlighted something that was going on in her life. But here's the deal. This is what tozer says, where there is no impulse to testify, there's been no inward experience of saving grace. If there's no impulse, if there's no desire to testify, Well, where is the experience of saving grace in your own life? Encounter will always lead to evangelism. Revival will always lead to proclamation of the Gospel. There's no such thing as a closet Christian. In fact, if there's one thing that gets under my skin, it's a bee in my bonnet, I cannot absolutely stand it, is passive, complacent Christians thinking that they're doing God a service by simply keeping their faith in their back pocket and they never share it, they never demonstrate it and they're not passionate about it. I'm telling you, you can't have an encounter with the Creator of the heavens and earth and not be passionate about it. It's not a personality thing, it's a revelation thing. It's not a personality thing, it's an issue of how important is this encounter that you've had in your life. If you had the cure for cancer and one of your friends was dying from cancer, you wouldn't keep the solution in your back pocket, you'd give it to them and say, here let me help you. Well people everywhere are dying of the cancer of their own souls and many of us are keeping our mouths shut because we are afraid of man. We're afraid of what they will say about us. We're afraid, but we've got to have more of a greater fear of God for their eternal salvation and eternal lostness than we do for what they may think about us when we open up our mouths and give a reason for the hope that we have. This is not a time for the church to have the mute button on. We've got to turn that off and we've got to give a reason for the hope that we have. And I just want to shoot a a message across the bow of this church. Newman Church is not passive, we're not complacent, we're not bunkering down and hoping that Jesus will all just come back and rescue us from all the pain and trouble in the world. No, we will stand up and be counted in this season. We will go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. We will plant churches, we'll plant life groups, we'll plant locations, we'll go and in the marketplace, in the education sector, in the government sector, in all corners of society, Society In our families and streets and neighbourhoods, we will fulfil our mission to advance the Kingdom of God across the nations. How do you get that sort of boldness and passion? You get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you go and do a course and get equipped to share Jesus confidently so that you can have a reason for the hope that you have. And every day you come and drink from that river of living water and you fill yourself up again with the truth of God's Word and the presence of the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you and boldens you again to be a living, breathing witness across the earth. And before you know it, one by one, by one, by ten, by a hundred, by a thousand, people start to come into the kingdom of God because the people of God are sharing Jesus boldly and confidently in the power of the Holy Spirit. First thing we've got to do is listen to their story. And then tell them our God's story. The second thing we've got to do is we must get our friends to become their friends. This is what we see in the text. Jesus says, when the dude comes home, that's a, you know, in the Greek for shepherd, dude, when the dude comes home and he calls together his friends, listen to this, and his neighbors saying, rejoice. So the shepherd brings the one lost sheep home. He gathers all of his friends and his neighbours and says, this is a time for rejoicing. In other words, he connects that one lost person to his relational network that is around him. The shepherd intentionally connects the finding of the lost sheep to the environment and the world that he finds himself in. Why is that so important in the parable? The answer is, is because each of us have something called plausibility structures. And those plausibility structures lead us to judge whether something is believable or not. Plausibility structures comes from three sources, from our community, our personal experience, and facts, truthful information. Of the three sources, community, experience and facts, it's our community, our relational network that is most influential in determining what we believe. In other words, we find a story more plausible, more believable if more people in our community also believe that story. So in 1 Corinthians 15, we're told Jesus rose from the dead. That is a true historical fact. But in verse six of 1 Corinthians 15, we read 500 people saw Jesus Christ rise from the dead. All of a sudden it becomes really plausible. It becomes really believable because it isn't just one writer saying Jesus rose from the dead, that would be enough. But now an entire relational network, a community of people, now are like, we saw it with our own eyes. Community is important to evangelism because most believers try to do it on their own. And yet Jesus in Luke 10 sent them out two by two to the harvest field. This is why I firmly believe that This whole season of isolation, lockdown and restriction is of the devil, I understand it's... temporarily necessary but I tell you it is not good for your well-being let alone the evangelistic missional thrust of the local church we are called to be connected we're called to be in community we're called not to live isolated independent lives and I really believe that in the midst of the necessary temporary uh things that have been put in place the enemy has been involved trying to divide us trying to separate us trying to isolate us us, not just from each other but also from those that Jesus is calling us to go after. We've got to go after the one, but we can't do that on our own. Most of us have two separate galaxies of friends. We have the safe friends and we have the unsafe friends and generally we keep them separated. And sometimes how we act in one sphere is different how we act in the other sphere. And you know, that's not kosher. That's not good for any of us. But I'm telling you, when you merge the two galaxies of relational networks together, Your one person will have plausibility structures kick in and they'll discover, hey, this isn't just this person and this isn't just me searching and asking these questions. Now there's an entire life group. Now there's an entire relational network. Now there's an entire community that have also gone through the same challenges, have also been asking the same questions. You see, we must get our friends to become their friends. Going after the one, requires a shift from the temporary to eternity. Jesus highlights this when He says, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Do you realise every time someone gives their heart to Christ and God saves them, restores them, reconciles them. There is an, an absolute party that breaks out and I reckon they must be partying all the time because people are getting saved all the time. There's just like a perpetual feast with no calories and it's just awesome, right? Because they're, they're just, they're, there are so many people getting saved in this season. Don't believe the lies of the devil that says that the Kingdom of God is not advancing in this season. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we hear story after story all the Time of how God is moving and working, and amazing things are happening. But we've got to get more intentional. We've got to listen to their story, tell them our God's story, and we must get our friends to become their friends. And we've got to realize that just one soul is worth the cross of Jesus Christ. Heard a parable, a story where a man was walking along a beach when he noticed a young boy picking up starfish that were littered across the beach. And just as the little boy was walking along the, the tide, he just picked up those starfish one after the other and throw them in. And that one starfish didn't look like it was making having any effect or impact. And that man walked over to that boy and said, what difference is that gonna make? There's thousands of starfish along here. And the little boy looked up at the man with childlike faith and says, well, it made a difference to that one. And often in our pursuit of evangelism, our pursuit of sharing our faith, sharing Jesus confidently with the world around us, we we can start to believe this lie, what difference can I really make? What difference will that conversation make? What difference will praying for that? I keep getting rejected in the workplace. I keep getting pushed back and made fun of over here. What, it's too hard. I'm just going to make my faith in Jesus in the private compartments of my life. And I'm here to tell you the devil is a liar. It does make a difference. No one can reach everyone, but every one of us can reach someone. I wanna ask you today, who is your one person? because it's time to go after that one. You say, well, we're in lockdown restriction. Yep, you can text them, you can call them, you can send them, send them an email to encourage them. You can drop off a food hamper, coffee at their door and you can do something in this season, go for a exercise with them, a coffee walk, do something where you begin to cultivate rapport and a relationship. Who is your one person? Because people are more open, they're more hungry and they're more searching than ever before for the reason, for the hope that we have. Wherever you are, I wanna encourage you to stand with me. I wanna pray for you, that you'll be empowered and equipped through this message to go after the one. Father, I just thank You right now for the truth of Your Word. I thank You for the power of Your Holy Spirit, O God that emboldens us and empowers us to be a living witness to the world around us. Thank You, Lord, for revival. Thank You, Father, for revival conference coming. But Lord, I just pray that we would not keep that private. We would not keep it just in the sacred space of our own homes and lives. But Lord, I'm praying for an outbreak of revival in Jesus' Name. I'm praying, oh God, against a spirit of passivity and complacency in this season. I'm praying, let there be an impartation of boldness through this uh, uh, broadcast of this service right now. Let there be an activation of the anointing of evangelism, oh God. Lord, upon you, church, let us have a reason for the hope that we have. Let us go after the One, O God. It may not be that the stories and testimonies of the masses of Billy Graham crusades, but I'm telling you, Jesus, You care about the One. You would die in the place of the One. And Father, today we thank You that You made a way. You gave us Jesus, He modelled to us this life and He sent the Holy Spirit to empower us. And now God, we wanna be obedient, faithful followers of You. We wanna give a reason for the hope that we have. We wanna pass on the solution to the cancer of people's souls. We wanna see as many people in the Kingdom of God for all eternity, celebrating the marriage Supper of the Lamb. And Father, I pray today against fear of man against the fear of what people will say. I pray the power of that fear would be broken in the Name of Jesus. And there'd be an anointing of boldness and courage that would come upon Your people. Lord, that we'd be wise, we would be discerning in how we communicate our story. We would learn how to share You confidently. And Father, that we would see by few or by many a great harvest of souls, oh God, come into the Kingdom of God. Because of your reviving, renewing work inside of our hearts In this season we pray today In Jesus name Thank you for joining us for this message today We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God